Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, church. I'm Chris. Uh, my pronouns he, him, and I serve on the mission logistics team here at Galileo. So for this worship series, it would have been enough. We're borrowing a pattern of storytelling that is closely related to the Exodus story. It's called Dayenu, which is a Hebrew phrase that means it would have been sufficient, implying that something more, something extra follows that phrase. Dayenu is also a cheerful song sung by Jewish families at their Passover meals. It tells a story of God's liberation of our ancestors as a series of escalating gifts from God. We're learning to tell our, our own stories in this Dayenu pattern so we can experience the escalating gratitude that it provokes. And today, it's my turn to share my Dayenu story. So if God had brought together two young people in marriage, my wonderful wife, Wendy, I would have been a happy man. It would have been enough. Dayenu. But some years later, God inspired my wife to go on her own journey and make an unexpected decision to go to seminary and pursue her Masters of Divinity. And if God had just sent her to seminary and given me the wisdom and understanding how to maybe just best support her during those challenging years, that would have been enough. Dainu. But then, then God made some space in my heart. And Wendy came home from school and told me about all the things she was learning, shared passages with me from books they were reading. And we ended up in a lot of long, deep, and meaningful discussions that began to transform me from the inside. And if God had left it there and just left room for me to change and grow, it would have been enough. Dainu. But then, through that connection to Bright, God stirred some hearts and started up a workshop that some lay folks like myself were invited to. And we met a person, randomly, maybe not randomly, maybe that was God's intention, who was a transgender woman. And I can tell you that in that workshop, which wasn't even about LGBTQ issues, God through her, began to chip away the last little vestiges of what I'll just call some gross beliefs that I might have had in the past. And I felt I could begin to truly call myself an ally. And if we left it there, and I could just call myself an ally if God had led me to that place, it would have been enough. Dainu. But then God took it a little further and led our family to this church all of you wonderful people, where I can do more than say I'm an ally. I can be an ally. 
and can join you and we can stand together while we fight for the justice, for the equity, for the inclusion, for the kindness that we know that God still wants in this world. Hey, church. I'm Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the lead evangelist here at Galileo Church. And I had the strangest feeling as I was leaving my house this afternoon to come here that I was forgetting something. I kept checking and rechecking all the things in my hands. I had a chapstick. I had keys. I had my phone. You know, all the essentials. I had an iPad with a sermon on it. You'll be so happy to know. And I kept thinking, what am, I, what am I missing? What have I forgotten? It's such an interesting and different kind of day at Galileo Church. And you know what? It turns out I wasn't forgetting anything at all. All we really need here are some scriptures, the testimony of our ancestors in faith, Steph's guitar and her voice, all of us in this space. I wasn't forgetting anything. We don't need anything special for tonight. We're just going to do the thing that we've come to do for our God who is beautiful. We're reading tonight from Exodus 19 and 20. This is the last Sunday in our series called It Would Have Been Enough. And we've been looking at this story as a series of escalating events between God and God's people, inspiring more and more of their understanding and eventually loyalty to this God that has liberated them from their oppression. So I'll read the first few verses of chapter 19 and then continue on with chapter 20. On the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. 
Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of God upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, my friends. (laughs) The uncertainty of the last couple days, right? I feel like I can kind of smell the adrenaline in this room. Are you calming down a little bit? Are you paying attention to your breath, paying attention to your body? Remember what Ashley said at the top, do what you need to do to feel safe and at peace in this space and at home. I want to say that I'm incredibly grateful to the people who have been working on our own sense of security and welcome in this space over these last several days It's been kind of intense. If you've gotten emails from Galileo Church, you know that there was a team in place working on these matters before we knew about the protests happening outside. I'm grateful for their help and consideration. I'm grateful to those who are here tonight in the Big Red Barn and for some who remain out in the parking lot, especially friends who made the deliberate choice to be here tonight because of all that's going on with our church. Thank you, thank you for joining us. We're really happy to have you in the space tonight. And I am grateful to those who made the brave decision tonight to take care of your own health or the health of your beloveds by staying home. You have made a wise decision and we're so glad to welcome you online tonight. Thank you for joining us in worship. We hope that your own heart is being drawn near to the heart of God as are ours in this room. Thanks to all of you, and thanks be to God. Tonight is the last Sunday in our series on Exodus, the story of God's liberation from enslavement of our ancestors in faith, and their inauguration into a new realm, into the empire and economy of God, And we have celebrated these last several weeks the responsiveness of this God, responsiveness to the suffering of those who have lost access to God's presence and power, to those who no longer know how to pray, to those who have no resources of their own for resisting the oppression that binds and diminishes them. And we have heard each other's stories about God's saving help. How Dayenu, 
it would have been enough for God to rescue us from danger or distress or desolation or crappy theology. But then God did more, not only bringing us out of our pain, but bringing us in to a place of promise and light and contentment. And all along the way, we have joined our ancestors in reconsidering again the nature and character of this God, this God who is responsive to the suffering of the powerless and relentless in reclaiming those whose hope has been stolen, a God who is ready to engage with the heirs to God's promise of relationship. Now, with tonight's story from Exodus chapter 20, we are only halfway through the 40 chapters of the book of Exodus, but we're going to stop here after tonight because in a way, Exodus 20 is a huge transition point in the story of God's people. It is the first day of the rest of their life. It is the beginning of a whole new phase of their end our understanding of what life with God is all about. We've already said in weeks past that Israel's 40 years of wilderness wanderings were a season of education for them, that the people enslaved for 400 years had to learn how to be free. They had to learn what it feels like to work six days and get seven days worth of sustenance. They had to learn how it feels to throw off the shackles of Pharaoh's economy where you are only worth feeding because you keep working to feed Pharaoh's insatiable appetite for more. And up to now in the story, God has simply and more or less gently been taking care of Israel moving them along geographically and emotionally to a safer place, providing every day for their most basic needs with trust-inducing consistency. But now, on the third new moon after their escape, three full months into singing their freedom song, three months of strengthening their bodies and spirits, three months of enjoying the effects of consistent rest and caretaking, three months of calming their nervous systems, afflicted by 400 years' worth of generational trauma, God says, hey, it's time to consider a new concept. Today, our ancestors in faith are being introduced to covenant, specifically life in covenant with the all caps, L-O-R-D, whose name is unpronounceable and whose face they cannot see. Up to now in the book of Exodus, the concept of covenant has only been mentioned a couple times and only then as God's memory of a centuries-old set of promises between God and Abraham. It's that 
old covenant that God remembers when the cries of the Israelites suffering under Egyptian cruelty reach God's ears. It's that ancient covenant that propels God to act on their behalf and care for them as God's own children. And now God is saying it's time for Israel to know more about the bond of promises made in the past and what it means to be bound to the God of the universe who binds God's self to human beings. A God who restricts God's own freedom by pledging, promising, faithfulness, come what may. The lessons begin with the most basic formulation of the right response to God's steadfast faithfulness. The text calls them the ten words in Hebrew. There will be commandments later, but for now, these ten words, these ten declarations of what it looks like to be not just any people, but God's people. It's worth saying that the ten words govern individual comportment, assuming the context of community. Let's say you divide them in half between two stone tablets, perhaps. The second set of those two tablets, do not murder, do not have sex with someone else's spouse, do not steal, do not lie, don't even want what is not yours. All these five assume a human in relationship with other humans, right? Ethics, in God's imagining, that is to say, are not so much about autonomous righteousness or purity of the individual, but about how individuals are good neighbors taking care not to impinge on the flourishing of their neighbors. I have heard it said, indeed I have likely said, that religion based on a bunch of thou shalt nots is impoverished religion, restrictive and constrictive misunderstanding of the flourishing that our gracious God intends for our abundant lives. But what if we could hear, along with our ancestors, how different these words on the second tablet are from Pharaoh's tyrannical dictates? All of the thou shalts of an oppressive regime that is all the time commandeering your time, your energy, your initiative, your identity, stealing from you the prerogative to decide what you are gonna do with your one wild and precious life. Here is God, the one who called you forth from the dust of the ground and breathed life into your lungs, refusing to say what you should or must do with all the hours of all the days you have been given. Here is God leaving God's people barely three months out of their chains with the freedom to determine the course of their lives within the plain guardrails of protecting other people's freedom to do the same thing. Do what you want, the second tablet says. 
Just don't take from anyone else what isn't yours, their life, their wife, their stuff. For our ancestors, this would have been unprecedented liberty, a first-time awakening of their sleepy, suppressed imaginations for all the possibilities of what to do with every new rising of the sun. God is not Pharaoh. See? The second tablet would also have been a call for the Israelites to see themselves as a part of community in covenant to protect that hard-won freedom for each other. If you take from your neighbor that which is not yours, how are you any different from Pharaoh, whose leadership was entirely predicated on his entitlement to take what he wanted, life, wife, stuff, whatever his heart coveted in any given moment. That's what it means to be a Pharaoh. The second tablet bound the Israelites not only to God, but to each other in safeguarding each other's liberation from a system of exploitation and scarcity and fear. It bound them together in making safe space for each one to bloom in the light of God's steadfast care. Likewise, the first tablet the words that have more to do with how to remain in right relationship with the God who binds God's self to us. These first five words are about God's own radical freedom, God's refusal to be caged or kept, God's insistence on the people's trust that God will remain faithful even though God is free not to. Don't turn anywhere else for your sustenance, God says in the first word. No other gods before me. Don't give your allegiance to, don't depend on anything that is not me in the second word. No service to idols made with human hands. Don't put my name on things that are not mine, the third word. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't forget how my economy works where rest is guaranteed for every creature. Fourth word, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor the experiences of your ancestors to keep the memory of your liberation by my hand alive. Fifth word, honor your parents. Remember, in other words, that God is the Lord. The Lord is God, and God's participation with us is God's idea. And being in relationship with God does not mean that we can co-opt God for any project that we, in our freedom, can dream up. Indeed, it is the third commandment, okay, word, that draws my attention tonight. As a kid, I learned it this way, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. A proscription that meant I could get my mouth washed out for soap, with soap for saying gosh. Anybody? Or golly. Yeah. I mean, even today, saying oh my God feels like a trespass into very dangerous territory. As we say around here, you can take the girl out of fundamentalism, but it's hard to get the fundamentalism out of the girl. Newer translations are helping us here. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain becomes better. You shall not make wrongful use 
of the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Friends, we have worked hard tonight to not let what's happening directly outside our walls, our neighbor's protest of the North Texas Transportation Network, and more broadly, of this church's way of being in the world God still loves, be too influential on what's happening here. As Steph said, worship was planned long ago. But I think it would be silly tonight not to say that there is a living, breathing demonstration of what the third word warns against happening out there right now. It is a serious matter to lasso God like a calf and rope God to your scapegoating altar by putting God's name on your fear-mongering, angry assault on other people's lives. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Because God, in agreeing to be bound by covenant to God's people, does not relinquish God's freedom to refuse association with anything that diminishes another person's humanity. God will not be bound to that. Don't try it, God says. Don't try me, God says. And it seems to me that Christian nationalism and associated efforts to enforce a narrow and mean-spirited interpretation of gender and sexuality by harassing, bullying, scapegoating, threatening, and legislating against the identities of vulnerable souls who simply want to exist without fear in this world are dangerously wrongful uses of the name of the Lord our God. They pretend that God wants what they want, which is to obliterate any difference they don't understand and will not empathize with. They pretend to have theological warrant for restricting the flourishing of their neighbors. The exact thing that the 10 words of Exodus 20 say God's people must not do. What a supreme irony that Christian nationalists want to insist that the Ten Commandments, as they call them, should be displayed in school classrooms all across our state when they are in such flagrant violation of both God's freedom and their neighbor's freedom, the very liberties the Sinai Covenant was intended to protect. The Ten Words of Exodus 20 are far from the fulsome expression of neighbor love that Jesus eventually asks of us. The North Texas Transportation Network was born out of his insistence and our stubbornness in taking him seriously that to love our neighbor is to actively work for their flourishing, not only refrain from diminishing it. But the 10 words are a good starting point a baby steps beginning in an ethical education for people who did not yet know how to be in covenant with God and with each other, did not yet know how expansive God's inclusive love, how ginormous God's heart, how ridiculously committed God would be to every human being who bears God's image 
which is every human being. What began on two tablets brought down from Sinai's peak is fulfilled whenever God's people find ways to protect and encourage and celebrate each other's whole, beautiful lives. What began on Sinai, I'm saying, is fulfilled in you. Cannot adequately express how proud I am, how lucky I feel to be on this journey with all of you, our co-conspirators, our friends, our allies who have our backs when there's a crisis. I am truly glad to be in this safe, brave, beautiful space with all of you. May your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. God will do this. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.